everyone, welcome to Study Acupuncture with me. I'm Dr. Richard Lai, physical therapist and acupuncturist. And today we're gonna talk about gallbladder 20. We're gonna talk about where it is, what it does, and why it does what it do. And make sure you stay until the end of today's episode to hear today's positive quote. Before we get into gallbladder 20, let's share a quick review from one of the listeners. This one comes from Apple Reviews. Dr. Richard Lai taught me a couple classes at our college in New Jersey. He is truly caring and sincerely interested in teaching the students, constantly finding different ways to teach effectively. Love his classes and his podcast. Every acupuncture student should listen to his podcast. Thank you so much for sharing that one. And if you want to be featured or want a shout out on the next episode, you can drop a review on Apple Podcasts or reach out to me on all social medias or just email me through my website, which is studyaccuwithme.com. All right. So today we're going to talk about gallbladder 20. Let's first talk about where it is. Gallbladder 20 is located on the back of your head. Basically, it's at the base of the skull. And when you palpate this on your patient, it's usually pretty tender. So according to Deadman, it's located between do 16 and gallbladder 12. And do 16, we know it's right below your external occipital protuberance, your EOP. So you find this prominence on the back of the head and you drag your finger down and immediately you will fall right into do 16. So the EOP, the external occipital protuberance, it's just this bony prominence that juts out on the back of your head. It's an extension out from your occipital bone. And some people, they have a really pointy one. And some people have a really flat one. Like mine is pretty pointy. And so it just depends on your upbringing. But overall, you can feel this protuberance jutting out. So to find do 16, you slide your finger down from the EOP. And do 16 is right there. Now, to find gallbladder 12, we first have to find the mastoid process. And that's this hard bone right behind the lower part of your ear. The mastoid process is a part of your occipital bone as well. So once you find your mastoid process, you slide your finger posteriorly and slightly inferiorly, and you'll be right on gallbladder 12. So now to find gallbladder 20, you put one finger on gallbladder 12 and you put the other finger on 216 and gallbladder 20 is right smack dab in the middle of those two. Now how I find it is I use the patient's anatomy because gallbladder 20 is located between the trapezius muscle and the sternocleidomastoid muscle. So we need to know where those muscles are. So the sternocleidomastoid muscle, the SCM, is a muscle that starts on your sternum and your clavicular area. And how do we know that easily? The word literally gives you the clue. Sterno, sternum, clido, which is just clavicle and form. There's some Latin in there that means form, but sterno, clido, mastoid, mastoid process. So this muscle goes from the sternoclavicular area where there's two heads and it goes to the mastoid process sternocleidomastoid, right? Anatomy is pretty simple. So this muscle inserts on the mastoid process. Some of its tissue also reaches the nuchal line, which is on the back of your skull, uh, through this aponeurosis, through this like connective tissue. So for my patients with occipital headaches, I always start the session off with some soft tissue mobilization, 
where I use very, very light scraping or brushing with my hands or with like a blunt gua sha tool. Um, I go along their SEM, I go along the other muscles of their neck, I go along their masseter muscle, along their jaw. Um, it just softens everything up. This also has an effect on the person's psyche as well. Uh, the SCM, especially brushing along the SCM. If somebody has anxiety, somebody has depression, even issues with digestion, there's this brain-gut connection. And because the SCM has this vagus nerve running under it, you can use the SCM to target the vagus nerve. You can target anxiety then, you can target depression, you can target mood disorders, bowel issues, because the vagus nerve, we know it's a really important nerve part of the autonomic nervous system, right? Mostly the parasympathetic nervous system. And the parasympathetic nervous system is the rest and digest system. And that controls things like your heart rate, your digestion, and it even has some effect on your immune system as well. And then the other muscle for gallbladder 20 that I look for is the origin of the trapezius muscle, which is this large muscle on your back. You have a left trapezius, and a right trapezius, and together they make this trapezoid shape. This is the muscle that helps you to shrug your shoulders, it helps you pull your shoulders back, and it also helps you when you move your head. It's also an accessory muscle for breathing, meaning it helps you open the chest when you breathe. The SCM also aids actually in breathing as well because it lifts up the sternoclavicular area. So with your patient prone, gallbladder 20 is located right in between these two muscles. So first we should talk about the name of gallbladder 20, which is feng zi, which is wind pool. And my pronunciation, you might notice, sounds a little bit different from if you tap the Chinese characters on Deadman, or maybe even from some of your teachers at school, um, because my family is from Taiwan. And so when we say swimming pool, we say yoyong zi and not yoyong chur, which is more of like a China accent. Anyway, so just by the name itself, you know that there's some sort of action towards wind. So when someone asks you what gallbladder 20 does, you would say gallbladder 20 eliminates wind. And we know that wind can invade the body, right? Especially in this area where gallbladder 20 is, the upper back, the neck, the nape of the neck. Now the question is, when your patient is on your table, how do you know that it's wind invasion, right? How can you confidently choose gallbladder 20 as part of your point prescription? Well, one of the telltale signs is if your patient complains that their symptoms have this sudden characteristic to it. For example, um, I was going through my day, I got into the office, and all of a sudden I had a headache. Or your patient could say, you know, I, I woke up, I felt fine. And then around lunchtime, all of a sudden, I started to have this runny nose. So there's this sudden characteristic to it. There's a sudden onset type to it. And another telltale sign that it's wind invasion is if their symptoms change quickly. Like your patient could say, you know, Monday, I was fine. Tuesday, I woke up, my throat was sore. All of a sudden, then I had a runny nose. There's this like rapid succession of symptoms. Um, even the change can be in the location, right? The symptoms can change from location to location. So if they say, you know, like, I can't really pinpoint exactly where because it's my shoulder that hurts. And then sometimes it's my elbow. Sometimes it's my wrist. It just, it doesn't stay in one spot. So those are telltale signs that usually mean that wind is the culprit. 
um, primarily external wind, right? Because external wind invades the space between the skin and the muscles. Then there's this impairment of Wei Qi and Lung Qi, and your patient will have those exterior symptoms like fever, sore throat, sneezing, um, cold aversion, right? Runny nose, a headache, specifically a occipital headache. And then when you palpate their pulse, it'll be a floating pulse, right? All of that points to an exterior condition. So wind invades the patient's body. Wind invades the space between the skin and the muscles. And it can also invade other parts too. It can invade the muscles. It can invade the channels. It can even invade the joints. Now, when the wind has invaded into the muscles and channels, your patient will say, you know, I have some stiffness. I have some achiness. And even in the joints, right, they'll say the, my joints hurt, right? And, and, and with that, there may be even a roving component to it. That's, it's called roving pain, where they have joint pain that moves from joint to joint. On the other hand, there's also internal wind. So internal wind pretty much presents the same as external wind for the most part. Your patient may also say like, you know, they feel dizzy in terms of interior wind, but they can also say that with exterior wind. They can say they have vertigo or tremors or even like, you know, weakness in one arm or something like that. That's like a very wind type symptom. So now where internal wind comes from, though, is pretty much completely different. Exterior wind is exterior. Internal wind comes from, you know, multiple places. One place can be liver, right? Liver pathology. Internal wind can come from some sort of liver disharmony, like liver young rising, like liver fire like liver yin deficiency, right? Because that, that rising of yang can generate wind. That fire rising can generate wind, right? Think about um, Mulan, the Disney movie, Mulan, right? There's that song, Be a Man. And I'm, I'm not going to torture you um, by singing, but it says, with all the strength of a raging fire, right? And then you see on the screen, there's all this raging fire, there's wind. And so we know that internal wind can come from this disharmony, liver, liver young rising, liver fire. And the symptoms of this liver young rising or liver fire is, you know, the, your patient will say, I have a pounding headache. You know, you look at their eyes, they may have bloodshot red eyes because there's this ascending of liver energy. It's coming up to the head. It's causing the headache. It's causing the red eyes. Maybe their ears may even be red. Um, they may even present with high blood pressure. So gallbladder 20 can descend and extinguish that interior wind because it's a wind pool point. One thing to keep in mind also is that there's actually a special relationship between the liver and the gallbladder. Liver has a function, a specific function, which is to ensure that there's a smooth flow of qi in the entire body. So what does that mean? It means that liver makes sure your whole system is acting in the way it's supposed to, right? It makes sure every organ goes in the direction it's supposed to go, it makes sure everyone does what they're supposed to do. It's like, you know, imagine if there was a world where there's no traffic lights, there's no stop signs, you know, there's no one-way signs. Right? Everyone, when they're trying to move about, it, it would just be chaos, right? So that's a world without the liver ensuring a smooth flow of chi. No one knows what direction they're supposed to go in, and everyone is just like honking at each other. So liver makes sure that every organ is doing what they're supposed to do. Now, gallbladder has a very special function towards the liver because the gallbladder helps the liver go in the direction it's supposed to go in. Liver makes sure everyone else is doing what they're supposed to do, and gallbladder helps the liver by making sure it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's kind of nice, right? So gallbladder chi helps liver chi go in its natural direction. 
And what direction is liver? Liver chi ascends. So that's why gallbladder 20 can extinguish into your wind because gallbladder affects the liver's natural direction, which is to ascend. And with internal wind, which can be caused by liver young rising or liver fire, basically too much liver energy rising up to the head, you can use gallbladder 20 to extinguish that interior wind. So in summary, gallbladder 20 can treat both internal wind and external wind. In a previous episode, we talked about how lung 7 can treat both internal and external wind as well. In terms of lung 7, lung 7 is more effective with exterior wind because if you think about the connection with the exterior surface of the body, right? Lung governs the exterior, governs the skin. So exterior wind is more effectively treated by lung 7. And again, it's kind of nice to know that the liver, which helps everyone else in the body, has someone else who helps it as well, right? Okay, so the next function of gallbladder 20 is that it benefits the head and the eyes. It clears the sense organs. So the location itself tells you why it benefits the head. It's literally at the base of the skull, right? The neck, gallbladder 20, then the head, right? The skull. And there's this connection with the liver, with the ascending, the smooth flow. So that'll also definitely benefit the head as well. Now, it benefits the head and the eyes, and it clears the sense organ. So we didn't really talk about when we needle this point, gallbladder 20, what direction do we needle in? So when you needle gallbladder 20, you can needle it, of course, in the direction of the channel, right, with the flow of the channel, or you can also needle it and direct the tip towards a specific area. You can direct the tip towards the sense organs, like the eyes or the nose, and you can affect and benefit the eyes, like if someone has red bloodshot eyes, or you can benefit the nose, like if someone has a stuffy nose or a runny nose. You can benefit the mouth if someone has a, a you know sore throat. You can even direct it towards the ears if someone is having like tinnitus or you know ear issues. And I'm I'm speaking broadly, but of course when you evaluate your patient, you would take the steps to find the root cause and choose a treatment principle that treats that root cause. And I'm mentioning this because like tinnitus, right? You have to figure out where that tinnitus is coming from. Is that tinnitus coming from a kidney yin deficiency? So in that example, you would tonify kidney yin. Is it coming from an exterior wind root? So you would use gallbladder 20. Or is it even coming from something like liver? Because tinnitus, this ringing in the ears, it can come from a bunch of different roots. That ringing in the ears can come from liver yang rising because too much energy going up to the head can cause that ringing in the ears. Or it can come from a deficiency like kidney yin deficiency because the kidney yin is not filling up the brain or the marrow. So one quick question that you can ask your patient is, what pitch is the ringing? If it's a low pitch, or it sounds more dull, or if the ringing, like the onset of the ringing, is slow and gradual, then that could be kidney-related tinnitus. If they say it's high-pitched, like it's fast, it's high pitch, it goes right up right away into this highest pitch possible. That's usually an excess condition like liver young rising. So what I hope you take away is that there's a lot of different routes with a lot of different treatment approaches, which is why I'm you know trying to shy away from a blanket treatment statement. And I'm gently reminding everyone that we're clinicians, we are acupuncturists, and we should lead with our clinical foot and we should always evaluate our patient thoroughly find the root cause, use the correct treatment principle, and that will ultimately help the patient overall. 
So the last action, lastly, but not leastly, gallbladder 20 can activate the channel and alleviate pain. Think about all the muscles we talked about. Trapezius, sternocleidomastoid, all the neck muscles, the base of the neck, the skull, all the connections there. Gallbladder 20 can treat the neck, the upper back, the head, for any pain, stiffness, soreness, just by activating the channel and coursing chi. So that's all the actions of gallbladder 20. And why? It extinguishes wind. It benefits the head and the eyes. It clears the sense organs and it activates the channel and alleviates pain. So now, before we end the episode, let's end with our positive quote of the day. And today's positive quote comes from Winston Churchill. And it says, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And I am reminded of this quote because I receive messages from people on Instagram, you know, in my email, and they share their story of how they studied for the board exams, they felt like they prepared enough, and they still failed. And they use that specific word, I failed. And they feel like it's the end of the world because they went through this book, they went through that book, they bought this course and that course. And then they asked me, you know, what book should I use? What course should I buy? And at first I say this, you know, I, I totally, I get that feeling. It's not a good feeling. But before we go and buy another course or another book, we have to get ourselves first into this right headspace, right? We have to get ourselves into a, an appropriate mindset. We have to visualize our outcome that we want, which is yes, to pass the board exam. But what we should add to the equation is to fall in love with the process of studying. Because studying doesn't just end with the boards, right? If we study just to pass the boards, we're just studying for that outcome. But studying and learning should be a lifelong process, right? Even right now, I'm an acupuncturist. I'm a physical therapist. I'm constantly learning about people's bodies all the time and their responses to different treatments constantly. Because success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. So yes, maybe you didn't pass this time, but guess what? Eventually you will. So fall in love with the process of studying and learning more and more because that's only going to help you help more patients in the long run. So you'll definitely get there. It's okay that you failed this time. It's okay if you fail again. Just try again. You will get there. It's totally okay. And this is why I do a lot of this content for free. I mean, yes, okay, I am in the process of creating a course that one day you can buy. And of course, I'm going to stand by that course because I know that course is going to help a lot of students because I'm creating it the exact way that I wish I was taught. And it's taking me a long time to create it because I do everything myself. I create the content, I edit it. And yes, it's frustrating me that it's taking me a long time, but I'm giving myself some permission to have some leeway because I work full time. I have a family. I cherish my family time. I have a toddler and my family needs me. And, you know, with the acupuncture educational content, I use whatever remaining time I have left after everyone goes to bed and I create content. I literally have a free Facebook group where I put probably thousands of questions now for free. And I post that daily, except when, you know, life gets really busy and then I start posting again. 
but it's all for free. I'm editing podcasts. I edit YouTube videos. And I don't mention this because I'm trying to like, oh, toot my own horn. I'm just saying this because just because you pass the boards doesn't mean you stop learning, right? Success is not final. I love the process of taking information, compartmentalizing it so that students can grasp it and retain it immediately. I love like, you know, I teach points class, I teach biomedicine classes. And after class, I love when I hear a student go, oh yeah, I actually, I actually retained that, right? I retained this whole class. I love hearing that because I try to be as engaging as possible. I try to present the information in a way that'll help you retain it. So anyway, when you pass the board exams, because you will keep learning and helping as many patients as you can. And with that ends our episode, please make sure you subscribe, leave some love by reviewing and commenting and find my free Facebook group for those free questions. And until next time, God bless and happy studying.